0: Good morning, guys. It's good to see you. Can I ask, does, doesn't your soul just kind of feel good after that? Stacy and, and, and guys, thank you for leading us in that today. That was just... <laughs> just kind of want to go... Oh. Guys, let me rob that from you right now with a horrific idea. T minus seven days to Christmas Eve. The season starts every year, and, and this year I got to tell you, my family and I—we've been good. We got the deco up in time. We got like all of our little traditions going. I mean, we, we got to soak the season. This happens to me every year. We stand here this Sunday before, and it's like, where did it go, and why isn't it four months longer? we T-minus seven days to Christmas Eve. And right now, throughout the entire known universe, including the galaxies which are far, far away, <laughs> followers of Jesus and churches that gather in their name are, are, are going through the Christmas story. If you read the Gospels of Jesus, these these biographies of Jesus that you find in the New Testament. You'll find the Christmas story that is the the, the account of his birth, what led up to it and how it transpired in both the Gospel or biography of Matthew and the Gospel and biography of Luke. And this is the stuff that permeates our season. And Christians far and wide this time of year, building up to this coming Sunday, are reading the story and sharing the story and telling the story. And what I want to do today is something slightly different. I want to talk to you about the story. What I'm not going to do today is is, is recount the story or tell it. I encourage you to do that. This week, carve a little time and read the Christmas story for yourself and the first two chapters of Matthew and the first two chapters of Luke. But what I want to do is I want to talk to you about it, specifically something very key about the Christmas story that I think is overlooked. And by overlooking it, we miss the substance of what those biographers or those gospel writers were trying to do. Now, I want to say it, and it's going to sound no-brainer, and then I want to come back to it so, so you don't make the same mistake that I see a lot of people make where they go, oh, yeah, no, I know that, and then move on without getting the fullness of what I mean. Here it is. I want to tell you about this story because what the Christmas story is about is the birth of a king. Now, if I was to say Jesus is king, you go, yeah, sure. What's for lunch? No, don't. Don't Fast Forward, Don't Blow It By, Don't Write It Off is just another title. Because for those gospel writers, this was the substance of the story that they were trying to tell. There is so much that we can say about Jesus, isn't there? There is so many, so, so many names and titles and angles and, and approaches and so many things that he's done and so many things that we can sink our teeth into. But for those gospel writers who chose to tell that story, what was center to them was telling the story about the birth of a king. And if you have your radar up, for this, when you read the story for yourself, you are going to see that the Christmas stories are saturated with this preeminence of, of, of bringing forth the fact that when Jesus was born, what we are seeing is the birth of a king. Here's what I want to do. What we're going to do today is we're going to sample. Sample just some of those famous bits of the Christmas story, and let me just show you how this is kind of like bleeding out its pores, if I can put it that way. Now, you might remember this. There's this account where this angel comes to this virgin named Mary. The story is very clear, by the way, to say that Mary was betrothed to this man named Joseph, who they're very clear to say was a descendant From the house and line of David, meaning he was part of the divinic dynasty, the kingly dynasty, because whenever you see David in the Bible, what your mind should immediately do is kind of like bing, 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 bing. It should go king. And this angel shows up. And look at what Gabriel spends the bulk of his time telling Mary. The Lord God will give Jesus the baby to be born to her, right? Right? the lord god will give him what the throne of who his father david and there's the words so what should happen in your mind bing 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 king what does gabriel bother to say he will reign over the house of jacob forever his kingdom will never end of all the things that Gabriel could have spent his time on, of all the message that could be conveyed to Mary, what does he choose to spend his time saying? No, no, this one, this is going to be a king. This is a king because the Christmas story is about the birth of a king. This one you know from Charlie Brown. At the beginning of Luke 2, we get this story start to unfold, and it begins this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. What is it talking about? It's talking about a king. The story of the birth of Jesus begins with a talk about another king. And it spends time to unfold it. This, this, this king, this, this Caesar issuing this decree that all the world should be taxed so everyone goes to his own town to register and that this took place during the reign of Quirinius, who was governor of Syria, more, more kingly kind of talk here. And then the angel shows up to these shepherds. And what does he bother to say? Today in the town of David, in the town of the king. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. Do you see the king language in the second line up there? Probably not, but it's there. We'll get back to that. Matthew, when he tells his version of the story, spends ample time talking about these visitors who come to witness the birth or the, the, I was going to say the afterbirth, but that is like totally not what I meant. <laughs> the post-birth of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about the shepherds, but I'm talking about this other caravan that's kind of made its way into Christmas carols. You know who I'm talking about here? We three kings. And even if kings isn't the right word to give them, these magi, these advisors, These members of the royal court of another kingdom, a kingdom called Babylon, a kingdom that had a bad and nasty history with Israel, the kingdom that defeated Israel, now the royal advisors and seers from another kingdom are coming to Bethlehem. And who do they go to see according to Matthew? Another king. King Herod. And here's what they say. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? The advisors to a king come to a king to seek out a king. Are you seeing the theme? King, 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 king. And of course, this one who claims to be king of the Jews, on hearing there's another who's born king of the Jews, is, well, as Matthew puts it, greatly disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. And he issues an executive order to have all the babies of Bethlehem two years of age and under slaughtered, annihilated, wiped out so that there will be no threat, no contest to his throne. You've seen Game of Thrones, right? Welcome to the Gospel of Matthew. The Christmas stories are immersed in this idea that what they are trying to tell you is that the event that we celebrate this time of year fundamentally is about the birth of a king. It's fascinating to me that of all the language, of all the titles that the Bible uses to give to Jesus... Head and shoulders, I'm talking a head by a long shot here. The title is King. This coming Wednesday, we're going to have a service in this room. It's our final ancient Advent. And what we're going to do is we're going to gather in here, we're going to turn the lights off because it's so much cooler that way, and we're going to hold candles, and it's going to be Christmas tree lights. And what we're going to do is share in a tradition that goes all the way back to the 8th century. You see, starting in the 8th century, monastic communities would gather on the seven days before Christmas, and what they would do as part of their final breath of the day or final vocalized thought of the day, they would gather for these these, these nighttime prayer services. And on these seven days preceding Christmas, they would call out to Jesus by a different title, by a different name. Because when you read the Bible, there's a lot of them. All of these titles and all of these names, and each day they would call him by a different one, calling for him to come, to heal, to return. Incidentally, these seven prayers that they used to pray made their way into the seven verses of the carol that we call, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And we're going to gather this Wednesday. Wednesday. To share in that tradition that goes back to the 8th century. To do what they did. But as part of it, we're going to say the names. If you come this Wednesday, what you're going to hear is all of the titles and all of the names that Jesus is identified by or labeled with when you read the Bible, both old and new. And let me just tell you guys, There's a lot of them. Counting it up, I think it's like 117 names or something like that. But you know what? Of all 117-some-odd names, there is one that is like popping off the grid. Like like I'm talking 400-plus times in the Bible. Here it is. Christ. But you go, what are you talking about? I thought you said it's about a king. Well, all Christ means is anointed one. Christ is a Greek word. It's a translation for a Hebrew word, Messiah. They mean the same thing. All it means is anointed one, which really doesn't help you, does it? Until you realize that what it means to be an anointed one, the ones that they would anoint by and far above all things that gave name to this term Christ or Messiah, is that they would anoint Kings, So that every time you come across the word Christ, what your mind should do is translate it into English to the word king. So that when you say Christ Jesus, what you're actually saying is King Jesus. When you say Jesus is the Christ, what you're actually saying in Greek, mind you, is Jesus is the King, of all the things that you can call Jesus, and I bet you have your favorites, right? Savior, Redeemer, Rock, Teacher, Rabbi, or maybe just Dear, like in Dear, Jesus. Of all the things that you can call Jesus, what the people of the New Testament chose to call him, Far and away by all others, by a long shot, is Christ, anointed one, king. Because what the Christmas story is about is the birth of a king, which I think puts a lot of us in a bad place. I don't think we really want a king. I don't think most people today like the idea of a king. Our country and national ethos, isn't it based on a revolution against a king? Isn't it about the overthrow? We don't want kings. We want presidents. We want our rulers to be equal with us. We want our rulers to be easily disposed. We don't want to be beholden To our rulers, do we? No, we want to mock our rulers, question our rulers, ridicule our rulers, disagree with our rulers, protest against our rulers. We don't want a king. We want one who, at most, we have to tolerate for four years until, in our power, we can do away with him or her and go on to someone else. No, we don't want kings. We want presidents. Presidents. But those early gospel writers called Jesus, not a president, but a king, not a democracy, but instead one with unilateral control. And unlike a president, a king demands a greater thing. No president demands fealty, loyalty, or dare I say even respect, No president demands our devotion, and man, would there be picketing in the streets if they did, right? But a king... No, a king is one with unilateral control. A king is the one with invested power that is not easily taken away. A king is one who rules for life and passes it on to whom he chooses or she chooses to invest their power to. And what a king demands, unlike what we want, is loyalty, devotion, fealty. Allegiance and all of this, all of this was central to what these gospel writers were trying to say when they wrote the story of Christmas, that Jesus is a king and that he demands nothing less than our absolute loyalty and allegiance. Throughout the gospels, you'll see Jesus inviting people to trust him to believe in him, right? What has even become the defining mark of a Christian today? Do you believe in Jesus? But when you look at the Christmas story and what it's trying to do, it turns all of the expectations of what it means to believe in Jesus on its head. And seeing the Christmas story the right way, I think, guys, will help you see what it means to believe in him in a different way instead. I want to show you two pictures, all right? Two pictures. On the right, we have Semper Fi, model of the U.S. Marines. On the left, who you're seeing here is at least an artist's rendition of Saint Nicholas. Now, for those of you who are Dutch in the room, you might know him by a different name of well, Sinterklaas, All right. You can go with that way any way you want. Now, most people I see, when they come to this idea of believing in Jesus, approach it in the way that's illustrated on the left. There are some people who believe in Santa Claus. There are some people who don't. And so Jesus says, Believe in me. And people approach it on that left handed kind of way. Do I acknowledge he exists or not? Because when I say, or someone asks you, Do you believe in Santa? What are they really asking? Do you believe that he's real? Do you believe that he exists or existed? Do you believe that he is an actual being instead of something that's make-believe, right? And so people go, well, do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe he's actually real? Do I believe he actually existed or maybe even exists that he's actually a real being And we think that the answer to that question is what it means to believe in him or not. But I want you to see believing in Jesus another way. I want you to see it the biblical way. The way that flows and is rooted in the birth of a king. Now, I want you to look at that picture at the right. I want want you to look at that motto again. Semper Fi. It is the rally cry of the U.S. Marines. Now, Semper Fi is actually an abbreviation. I don't know if you knew this. It's short for Semper Fidelis. And Fidelis is nothing more than a Latin word, a language spoken at the time of Jesus, by the way, a Latin word that means... Faith. Faith, of course, means nothing but believe. It's the same word in the Bible. Can I ask you, is the rally cry of the U.S. Marines, when every U.S. Marine shouts Semper Fi, are they saying, yes, I believe that there's U.S. Marines? I believe that the United States Marines actually exist. Yes, I believe that the Marines are real. Really? Or is it something more? Is it something more than what we think of faith and something more like faithfulness? When they cry semper fi, is it something more than just, oh yes, I believe in the U.S. Marines. Hoorah? Or is it something more, is it I am devoted I am loyal. I pledge my allegiance to the United States Marines. I give them my all. I will die at their command and will go to my grave before I dishonor the name. When Jesus invites you to believe, which do you think is more closely correlated to the invitation of a king? And I see so many Christians going through life thinking that because they acknowledge Jesus' existence, they believe in him. To which I can only think of those frightful words that he'll say on the last day Depart from me, for I never knew you. I see so many Christians going to the left, all the while missing Jesus' invitation to the right Believe in me. I want your devotion, I want your allegiance, I want your loyalty your pledge of faith in me. This is what it means to have Jesus as a king, not one that is just easy to follow when we feel like it, not one who is at our disposal to do with or ignore as we wish. No, it is nothing short of a unilateral ruler claiming and commanding our obedience and our allegiance. Welcome to the Christmas story. Welcome to what it means to call Christ the King and how the people of old yearned. For this, I think of those ancient prophecies. Those ancient prophecies where they dreamed and envisioned what kind of king he would be. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the prophet Micah would say, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And he will stand and he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will dwell securely. For his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace to you. Hear the language of power and might of a king. I think of what the prophet Isaiah says: that this 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 shoot, this line from the dynastic, dynastic tree will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, of counsel and of power, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and that unlike so many rulers and kings, he will delight. He will delight in the fear of the Lord, not judging by what he sees with his eyes or hears with his ears, but with righteousness, judging the needy with justice, giving decisions for the poor of the earth, They saw a king who would strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, they said, and with the breath of his very lips would slay the wicked. They saw a day when the wolf, because of his reign, would lie down with the lamb. The leopard would lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child would lead them. They saw the day when the cow would feed next to the bear and their young would play together and a day when the lion would eat straw instead of flesh. Straw like an ox. They saw a day when a child could go play by a viper's nest and remain unharmed because when that king came, The earth would be full of the knowledge of the Lord, so full that it could only be described as the waters covering the sea. This is the kind of king they yearned for. And doesn't that give you today images of strength, glory, power, which all comes colliding and crashing together with what the gospel writers describe as the kind, of G, uh, the kind of king Jesus is going to be. This king, king of kings, this Christ of glory, and might, and power, yet born in a manger instead of a palace, growing up in obscurity instead of with annals recording his every move of every inch of his life. Working as a peasant, carpenter, for little pay. Instead of being groomed in the finest schools with the finest tutors, And being prepared for what would come in his reign, a king who would ride a donkey instead of a white horse. A king who would die at the hands of his enemies instead of kill them. And from the beginning in this Christmas story, the gospel writers are telling you something. They're telling you about the birth of a king and telling you this is the kind of king he is going to be. And then giving us an invitation. Will you give him your allegiance? Will you give Him your loyalty? Will you devote yourself to Him through thick and through thin? This is what the Christmas story is all about. In these next seven days, I want to invite you to approach the Christmas story in a different way. Instead of leaving it as just a moment of sentimentality, instead of leaving it as just a moment of hope or feel good or amazing memories. Instead of it just being cute, with manger scenes and little baby Jesuses, approach it a different way instead. Both the revelation and the invitation of this universe's king. Today we're going to commune. In many ways, what this is, is the king inviting us to his table. It's easy for me to do this on autopilot. How about you? It's just what we do. It's church. But in preparation these next seven days, use this as a way to check yourself instead. When the king gives me that kind of invitation... How will I approach him differently instead? Where is my loyalty? Where is my allegiance? So today as we come to this meal, I want to invite you to do more than just drink a little bit of wine and eat a little bit of stale bread. Make it a pledge of loyalty and fealty instead. And if you can't do that, it's okay. We have a king who is humble and patient. Be a person of integrity and don't come to his table today. Don't lie to his face. But if you come today ready to pledge your allegiance to him, then hear his invitation to you, welcome, welcome to my table.